This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by Pfizer, working to deliver breakthroughs that change patients' lives. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. The emergence of the novel coronavirus has presented huge obstacles for people living with cancer and the healthcare workers who care for them. In this segment, actor Patrick Dempsey, who founded the Dempsey Center, will address the unique challenges facing cancer nonprofit organizations working to improve access to care and support for families during the pandemic. Let's listen. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, I'm Frances Dietzel as a senior writer at The Washington Post, and this is our second installment of Chasing Cancer 2020. I'm now delighted to welcome Patrick Dempsey, one of Hollywood's leading men and the founder also of the Dempsey Center in Lewiston, Maine, which is a cancer treatment center. And along with Patrick Dempsey will be the executive director of that center, Wendy Tardif. Welcome to you both. Thank you very much for having us. We're delighted to have you. My first question is for you, Patrick. You have a personal reason for founding this center in Maine. And could you tell us a little bit about that and how you came to make the decision to not only cure people as you do on television in Grey's Anatomy, but also with your philanthropy at this center in Lewiston, Maine? Right, my mother was diagnosed in 1997 with ovarian cancer. Over the next 14 years, she had 12 reoccurrences. So our family was, um, profoundly impacted by that diagnosis. Um, my mild mother was incredibly brave, very strong, uh, a, a big fighter. And, and through her cancer journey, um, um, right around this time, I, I got involved with the Amgen Tour de California in the Breakaway from Cancer Initiative. And at this point, that was where the inspiration for the Cancer Foundation came from, was working with Amgen, the Tour de California, uh, in the Breakaway from Cancer Initiative. Uh, the integrative medicine really hit me as something that has to go hand in hand with someone who's uh, diagnosed with cancer. It's it's the way to go. And, and we began the program um, over 14 years ago now. So we heard, we just heard Governor Hogan talk about um, being a, a cancer patient himself and the difficulty of talking to his family about that diagnose, diagnosis. You were a son. What was it like from your perspective, understanding what your mother was going through and what to expect? It's very hard to understand what it is that you can do as a caregiver. Um, and thank God my sister, Mary, um, worked in the, the hospital, Central Maine Medical Center. So she was there and could understand what the doctors were telling my mother so she could interpret what was going on. So thank God for that, that we had a patient advocate that was there that happened to be my sister and um, my, uh, you know, so we had some inside knowledge and it really helped us tremendously so she could help us. And then it was what we can do to really keep my mother's spirit up. Um, what is it that she likes to do? And she didn't want to lay down. She, she had to stay active. So gardening, things like that. So how do we keep people positive? How do we stay engaged and give them something to think about outside the treatments and where to place um, the anxieties and all those questions mentally, how do you channel that energy? And that's where the sort of how the center evolved is, how do we make life better for people? What are the questions that they're gonna ask us and how do we give those answers back that will hopefully give them some sort of comfort in this? So if you can describe just very briefly how that affects the programs you develop at the center, and then I'll turn to Wendy and ask her if she can describe to us how she makes that vision come to life in the center. Right. A lot of our stuff is really high touch, right? So how do we engage with someone emotionally and physically? And I think this is the real challenge with COVID right now. It's because we have to have the social distancing and, 
in all of our centers, really about human contact, love, and nurturing, uh, the psychological and emotional development. So we've had to transition now um, to be virtual. So a lot of our programs are up and running other than the acupuncture and the Reiki. And to answer your question is we really ask our clients when they come in, what can we do to improve our services? And specifically, how do we customize the care for that individual? And I think this is really important because the patient knows really what they need and we need to listen and empower them and give them the, the strength and dignity they deserve. And that's where we try to come from and meet them where they're at when they come in. Um, and it's a very scary time when a person comes in the center because they really are admitting you know, on a, on a deep level that they have cancer and that they need help. And we need to be there for them in a loving, nurturing, understanding way. And that's our goal, is how do we make life better and manageable, not only for the patient, but for the caregivers, for the, the children and everyone around them. It's a, it's a remarkable experience. And it's something I think is really needed. As soon as someone is diagnosed, I think this treatment should go hand in hand because you're looking at maybe one to two weeks before you get the information back. So we could start with nutrition, with the mental attack on this, and getting the team organized on what the strategy will be moving forward. And I think this is something that we really want to do here at the center is, is have a good connection with other like-minded centers throughout the country so we can work together to have a standardized level of care moving forward. Well, I'd love to hear from Wendy about how she makes yeah. these, uh, these policies um, come to life in the center in Lewiston. Thank you, Francis. Um, so in terms of making them come to life, um, we have a really a fantastic team at the center. And we've really had um, a fantastic team right from the beginning. Um, so what I would say is that, you know, we really look at what are all of those services that we can provide to cancer patients and their families, including caregivers and children, as Patrick just mentioned, um, and, and be able to envelop that uh, family in services that are impactful to their life and complement the cancer treatments that they're receiving from their treatment team. And so from that, we've really developed a program around, as Patrick mentioned, integrative medicine or complementary therapies, um, as we call them at the center. Uh, we do massage therapy, acupuncture, um, Reiki. We also have um, several licensed counselors on staff that provide one-on-one -on -one counseling, as well as group support. Um, we have a family program called the Healing Tree, which again, really envelops the family um, as, you know, around that cancer patient. Usually then when a young person um, gets cancer that has young children, um, the first thing they think about is, oh my gosh, what about my children? And so our program really helps parents to talk to their children about their disease and their treatments and help them to develop a plan for uh, support for those kiddos. And then we have a lot of a lot of programs around that that really support the kids, something called support for seedlings, as well as a, a teen support group. And then we also have a whole nutrition program where we show people how to cook in our demonstration kitchen and teach them how to how to cook healthily. And then they get to taste the food, go home, try some of the things that they learn in the program, and then come back the next week, ask questions and learn some more. Um, and then we have a whole fitness fitness area where we do yoga classes, Tai Chi, Qigong, um, fit and flexible, trying to really help people gain, really gain more control over their lives and feel like that 
feel like they have, um, they're able to do more of the activities that they're interested in doing and improving areas of their life that really make life better for them. And during when this virtual, Francis, go ahead. When I listen to you describe these complementary issues, it brings to it. It feels heartbreaking to think about all these things you can't possibly do in this age of social distancing. Tell me just quickly how you've adapted, and then I have a question for Patrick. How can you possibly do all these things uh, without being able to touch people? Yeah, that, the touch the touch piece is hard. Um, but what I would say is that we have transitioned everything to virtual. So we're doing one-on-one -on -one counseling virtually. So our counselors are actually connecting with people one-on-one. -on -one. Um, don't have the touch, but at least people have a way to um, get the therapy that they're looking for, depending on where they're at in their journey. Um, we've transitioned our exercise classes to be virtual. Even our cooking classes we're doing virtually. And we have a lot more planned um, toward the future. The other thing I would say, too, is that like our massage therapy and our acupuncture, what we've done is we've transitioned those services to actually be classes now so that people can learn more about how they can do like acupressure, for instance, or self-massage or couples massage to help people with some of the um, sort of debilitating aspects of um, cancer treatments. Patrick, um, you have been able to provide these extraordinary services free of charge, which is enormously important when people are facing often very high bills from that treatment. Um, how will this continue during these tough economic times? Is that, are those, those pressures on that? Oh, there's all, absolutely uh, pressures on that. And we've done a good job managing uh, our, our money. Uh, we had, have, had to make some tough decisions and uh, lay some people off. Um, but we've kept our programs up and running. We've made the transition. I think the staff has done a fantastic job under Wendy's leadership and the board as well. I want to thank them for making the transition to, to virtual and to be able to connect people virtually very quickly. Uh, we have work to do. We are usually doing our, our bike event in the fall that helps us run, um, you know, really generate a lot of income. This year we're doing it virtually for the first time with Swift. So this is a new experience for us. Um, so we are going to be challenged this year in the challenge to raise enough money. Thank goodness we've been working with Omaze, which has been an amazing organization where we're uh, giving away uh, an all-electric Porsche car and the, and the proceeds help us uh, keep our doors open. So get involved in that program. That can help us. And then also, uh, you know, register for the Dempsey Challenge that's coming up uh, very soon and, and, and help us in that way so that we can continue to, to provide these services at no cost to the patient. I think this is key. I mean, when people come in and they hear that news, that they're, we're there for them. We, we truly care and love and want them to feel good and we're not going to charge you. And we are able to do that because of the community and the people in our businesses, uh, not only locally, but nationally, that have supported this cause. And we can't thank them enough. And we're asking them this year to be incredibly generous. Uh, and there's a lot of people asking. There's a lot of need in the world. Um, and I think the biggest need from all of us that, and what we can give each other is love, understanding, and patience right now, um, because the fear is, over going, is going to overtake us if we're not careful, and people will act irrationally, and this is when we need to be loving uh, and patient and not fall into the fear, which is going to be challenging for all of us, and the financial fears uh, are, are there, and they're real, and right. we want to relieve that. Sorry, go ahead. Well, you have developed an extraordinary model here in Lewiston, Maine. 
Um, do you see other cancers turning to you, asking your advice about how to set up similar programs around the country, or do you feel pretty much unique? No, we want to be connected to other like-minded centers. And also, Wendy, will you uh, also talk about what are the other, within the state of Maine, there are other like-minded centers, and we've worked very hard at, at being able to work together. Um, Wendy, could you explain what we're trying to do there? Sure. So we've, we've set up a, an organization called the Association of Maine Cancer Support Centers. And I don't, when I say we, I don't mean Dempsey Center personally, but we're part of this group and we're trying to work collaboratively together to provide our services to everyone throughout Maine. And we're hoping that we can then take that model and, and really transition it into a national level uh, model. Oh. And one of the, the things with that is, um, all of the cancer resource centers that we have do the same thing we do, which is we don't charge people for the services. And one of the big reasons for that, Francis, is that it really empowers people that come through any of our doors to be able to make decisions on the services that they want to use based strictly on what's best for them. It's not about what they can afford. Um, it's not about what their health care covers. Um, it's all about what do they see as the most need for themselves and their families. Patrick, you visit the center regularly, I know, and you're obviously very personally invested in it. Um, we are, as you just mentioned at this moment, of extreme fear and divisiveness and distrust. What is the center meaning for you personally, and how do you feel you can help imbue the sentiments of love that you mentioned in a place and keep the spirit going? Yeah, I think it's, it's really not falling into the fear, right? I think it's there's so much um, unknown in the world, the lack of leadership where we can trust what's being said to us. We have to double check everything, unfortunately. And I think, you know, there that is an emotional cancer. That is a cancer in our society that we have to get rid of. And um, we have to be very holistic in our approach and, and collaborative in, in, people, in it, people to overcome this disease. And I think that's what the center represents within our community in many ways. It brings the community together and it centers it. And we need to be centered in our society right now. We're not. We're, we're too on the extremes. We need to find our center. And, and I hope that's what we can provide for the patients who come in, um, who are facing something that is absolutely overwhelming. And, and now to have COVID on top of it in the isolation when we need to be together right. is, is something that's going to be quite challenging moving into the fall. Indeed, when we could see a second wave or more extreme or a continuation, I guess, of this wave. What do you think your mother would have made of the center? Was she aware of it before she died, in, I believe, in 2014? She loved going there. She volunteered. She really enjoyed it. It was very therapeutic, and I think this is a good point that you brought up. And I think in survivorship for her, um, and she had such a long battle that there was a lot of guilt in the survivorship. And it, it made her feel really good about herself to go back in and to be with other newly diagnosed patients. And the mentoring program that we have at the center, I think is really good that way. So I think she would be, um, she would be sewing masks. She'd be yelling at people to put their masks on. <laughs> she was a strong woman. And I, I think she would be in there working very hard and certainly out in the garden right now, uh, this time of year. You, right, you raise an interesting point about survivorship. We have Governor uh, Hogan talk about beating cancer. A lot of people have talked about beating cancer. There's a whole new dialogue about, about living with cancer, which your mother did for so many years. Um, maybe Wendy can respond to this about the, the, the sort of use of, or the, the treatment of cancer as a chronic disease or a long-term disease, as opposed to one that uh, one 
fights through a series of um, battles in a hospital. Yeah, because it is, I mean, it really is a, a chronic disease, as you say, Francis. And in terms of, um, you know, kind of working through that, it's really important that centers like ours are offering people services and programs that they can utilize throughout survivorship. And when you think about like lifestyle changes, things around exercise and um, diet and this mindfulness, the things that we know can help with preventing chronic disease or um, reducing the intensity of a chronic disease. And so those are a lot of things that we really focus on at the center as well in terms of um, helping people through survivorship. And it's, you know, honestly, people are living longer now with cancer. And so we see, what we're seeing now is kind of the latent effects. So, so if someone's diagnosed as a young adult and they're, you know, moving into their 50s and 60s, they're seeing some health effects that were caused by their cancer from many years ago. And so, you know, being able to help people through some of those um, situations as well is uh, really important to us. And I guess getting away from the, the use of language as a, as a battle that you might win or lose instead of one where you live with a disease that might be with you for a long time. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. And, you know, the fact that, um, you know, when people are surviving cancer and they're they haven't had a recurrence of it or anything like that, but ending up with symptoms that are were caused by the treatments themselves, um, it is really important that we're there for people and you know really helping them to move through some of that um, and finding ways to make their life better in those ways. Wendy, a quick question for you and then I'll come back to Patrick. But you have the Dempsey Center Challenge coming up. I believe you've raised a million dollars, is that right, in the past years? Um, what's, the, what's the plan for this year and how are you going about it? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you for asking that, actually. We have um, a pretty ambitious goal. Um, our sponsor is Amgen Oncology. Um, this is the 12th year, actually, that Amgen has sponsored our event. Um, people have the opportunity to run, walk, and cycle. Generally, when we're in person, this year people have even more opportunities to get out and be active. But our goal is to get people moving. Our goal is one and a half million miles of movement and then one and a half million dollars raised. So um, that's what we're looking to do through the month of September. We have some different events leading up to that. We're using two platforms, Strava and Zwift, to do much of our activity tracking, if you will, um, with a lot of really exciting things that go along with that. And people can find out more if they log on to our uh, website at DempseyChallenge.org. Uh, so Patrick, you have said you have a few new projects in the works. Can you tell us a little bit more about them and where they fit in your philanthropic work? Yes, I have a show that's going to be on. Uh, it's a financial thriller that will be premiering this fall on the CW. Uh, in, uh, that's exciting. And then um, I was about to start a project uh, called Ways and Means, uh, a, a, a show set in, in D.C., but unfortunately that's on hold until uh, we get a better understanding of what's happening with the COVID virus. So. Um, like everyone else, I'm waiting um, to see what happens and, uh, and just trying to stay at home. And when I do go out, I wear my mask. 
So, so you're, you're feeling the impact in your, your working life as well of this coronavirus that you cannot shoot in the way you were able to in the past. Right. I think you're seeing a lot of people now in development mode um, writing to, to shoot. They're starting to shoot in Europe now. Um, they're starting to test that process and there's some production happening here, but it's, it's going to be a long time before we're back up to speed. And, and most people are looking at end of this year and maybe 2021 spring before we get back into real production. So one last question for you. Um, given your druthers, a year from now, what would you like to see at the Dempsey Center? What's the next stage? What's your biggest ambition for the place? Well, you know, our goal is to reach everybody who's been diagnosed with cancer in the state of Maine. And if we could achieve that and be able to give them the care and the attention that they deserve, then I think that is a goal that's possible. It's basically the awareness and having the opportunity and the means to support people. I hope we have our doors open and that when we greet someone, we can go up to them and hug them and hold them and say welcome. Patrick Dempsey, Wendy Tardif, thank you very much for your time today and for telling thank us you, about the you. Dempsey. Thank you. It was wonderful. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.